what you're doing with that messaging is you're you're really positioning your technology or your service or your device or whatever it is, you're positioning it to thrive in a model of healthcare that is quickly going away. Hello, welcome to the Better Outcome Show, where we explore the possibilities of a new healthcare. Each episode, we bring you a conversation with leaders across the healthcare industry, exploring topics ranging from new treatment techniques and interventions to novel service delivery methods and business models. And now your host, Rafi Salazar from Rehab U Practice Solutions, a leader in patient engagement and retention strategy. Let's explore the possibilities of a new healthcare. Well, hello again to the Better Outcome Show. I'm your host, Rafi Salazar, but you knew that from the intro already. Just a quick note here before we dive in that if you are an innovative healthcare company and you're looking to develop an effective, succinct, and unique positioning strategy for your device, software, tool, or even organization, then check out the Healthcare Positioning Alignment Workshop where we help you say the right thing to the right healthcare audience. Without diving too much into that, I talk about it a good bit on this show, on the podcast, on the um, any of the articles and videos we've been putting out recently. You can learn more about that at positioning.rehabupracticesolutions.com. We basically help you answer the question, value to whom? so that you can develop an effective value proposition. Obviously, different stakeholders uh, value things differently. Their perspectives on value differ based off their position in the value chain or the process of care. And what they determine or consider valuable changes depending on their role, right? So by narrowing down the value to whom question, you have a clearer idea of how your technology, device, software, or even healthcare service is positioned to solve the problems faced by those specific stakeholders in healthcare. So again, if you want to check that out, if you want to learn more about that, you can head on over to positioning.rehabupracticesolutions.com. That's positioning.rehab, the letter U, practicesolutions.com. And at the time of this writing, we are, or this recording, we are heading into the end of 2023. Um, we're in the middle right now of wrapping up the collection of surveys, uh, survey responses for our technology and virtual care in the physical and occupational therapy space. Um, we're going to be collecting those surveys through the end of probably the middle of December, really, um, and then wrapping up the analysis, putting out the report, probably Q1, early Q1 of 2024. If you are a practice owner or you're involved in service delivery and have a little bit of insight into technology and virtual care, specifically within the physical therapy space, uh, it would mean a lot. If you head on over to rehabupracticesolutions.com, there's a little button there. You can go and give your input. They'd be greatly appreciated. Um, and if you want to, we will send a copy of the report to you. I'll probably do a podcast or a video or probably both on it as we wrap up the analysis. So last plug there, 
the uh, the 2023 survey has got another probably four-ish weeks of data collection in it, and then we'll be wrapping it up. So head on over to RehabYouPracticeSolutions.com. Just on the home screen, there's a button there to uh, give your input into the survey. That'd be awesome. Cool deal. This week is going to be just, a, again, some thoughts around technology and the end goal specific to delivering care. And this was prompted, I gave a, a recent seminar at the university in the occupational therapy department, and we talked, it was an upper extremity, uh, physical rehabilitation, uh, like assessment and documentation uh, seminar. So we kind of had a case study, we talked about kind of my framework clinically for assessing a shoulder, it was specific to a shoulder dis dysfunction. So kind of the global framework that I use of kind of starting very wide and then narrowing down, like letting the, the patient and their perspectives, their narrative experience or subjective reports kind of eliminate and isolate the areas where you're going to address as a clinician. So I love doing that kind of stuff. I love connecting with students. I love um, just being in a position again of, of working with folks and helping them see kind of the the way I approach delivering care, it's been a while since I've been a full-time clinician. Um, so it's always good. I always like getting questions thrown at me and trying to brainstorm and think and get kind of getting put on the spot about specific things, especially upper extremity rehab, because that's where I spent the majority of my clinical career. If you've been following me for any length of time, you know that. So anyways, um, talking about uh, moving from the assessment to developing the plan of care for the for the patient, there were a lot of questions coming out, rightly so, because they're you know these these students are seeing the the news, they're following things on social media, so they're seeing things about technology, remote therapeutic monitoring, virtual care, telehealth, all of that, and um, so there were a lot of questions that came up, and some of the questions were kind of practical in nature, so like how do you how do you manage you know, setting up a patient on, on remote therapy monitoring, what are best practices around delivering a virtual virtual appointment or virtual visit or something like that. And we kind of manage some of those, which is, um, I think we've got some of that covered in our, if you go to rehabupracticesolutions.com, it's called the telehealth roadmap. We, I was doing it a lot with clinicians and clinical organizations back during the pandemic and shortly after. Um, not too many organizations that I've worked with recently on the clinical side have much um, have much need in that area because most people now have either integrated uh, hybrid care or digital care pretty well or there's resisting it so hard it's not worth trying to make that En-ROAD work. Uh, but if you're interested in, in learning more about kind of my thoughts on it, we've, we did write a white paper called Telehealth in the Future of Healthcare the website has tons of videos and articles about integrating digital health technologies into, into care. So go check that out, rehabupracticesolutions.com. Click around, you'll find it. Anyway, so we were talking about specifically the end goal for technology, implementing technology within the course of care. And I know we did a podcast or I did a podcast on this maybe a couple months ago thinking, and it was my thoughts on using technology to make us more inefficient where where it counts and then using the tools and automations and everything to make us so efficient that it gives us the power and the ability to be inefficient and what really what i was trying to get at there was that if technology frees you up 
then you should be in a position as a clinician or as a clinical organization to build real meaningful relationships with your patients by spending some time on that quote unquote unbillable activities, you know, maybe active listening, maybe just listening to a patient, communicating with a patient, developing that know, like, and trust, whatever it happens to be, because you're, you're, you're not hampered by or hamstrung by this um, limitation of time, right? So kind of diving into that a little bit more, the, the questions are popping up and all of the questions from, from the students and even from some organizations that I've been working with recently in the healthcare technology space that are looking at developing solutions for physiotherapists and for physical therapists in this space all hinge on this idea of spending more time being productive, which is great, is wonderful, I guess, at some level. Um, and that's kind of like their main, the main selling point, right? We're going to let you bill more. Um, we're going to let you spend more time billing the patient or their insurance or, or doing things that are quote unquote productive. And while I understand, because I own a practice, you know, we, we walk this line and deal with this, uh, this conversation fairly regularly at staff meetings and, and management team meetings, this idea, this dichotomy between, okay, we want to deliver quality care, we want to develop human relationships that in, just in essence is sometimes inefficient, right? Sometimes you're going to have a patient or client that you need to spend some extra time with developing trust and that time is not billable. You can't put it under CPT code. So what do we do about that? And how should we think about what technology will allow us to do in those situations? So I think Part of the problem, and I rail against this, rail against is probably a, a bad term that sounds super negative, but I do talk about this a good bit in my book, Better Outcomes, A Guide to Humanizing Healthcare. The, the chapter on productivity and time-based productivity and fee-for-service model and really what that's done to the incentives in healthcare. And I think the outcropping of technological innovations or implementations or tools that have been developed specifically in healthcare on the clinical side for, for clinical organizations, whether it be practice management suites or documentation tools or things like that, are all kind of built around this idea of clinicians get paid for their time, right? So everything that the tool is going to do, and if you go to their website, they're going to spend a lot of time talking about this, like spend less time on the stuff that you can't bill and more stuff time on the stuff that you can build. This idea, I know I've mentioned this on the show before and on several interviews, this idea that a, a dentist friend of mine said once, which was, if you're not drilling, you're not billing. Um, and that kind of speaks to this fee-for-service model mentality where it's you're getting reimbursed, you're getting paid, you're getting rewarded for the volume of activities or the quantity of units that you're billing rather than the value you're delivering as a clinician or a clinical organization. And the problem that I see in healthcare technology tools and softwares and devices even is that all of the underlying assumptions around their development is that, well, the way clinicians get paid is by billing more units. So what we're going to do is we're going to allow them to increase their efficiency and reduce their costs so that they can bill more units. And while increased efficiency and reducing costs is amazing, and really healthcare practitioners should be thinking about that 
because one of the values that I describe in the book that I've mentioned on the show before, one of the values that we can bring to the table is a, co- a real cost reduction, a cost savings um, in delivering care. So there should be a, a thought given towards increasing the efficiency with which we deliver care and decreasing the overall cost to the to the various stakeholders, right? The patients, the payers, and, and even the clinicians, the clinical organizations as well. And that is going to help clinicians thrive in what I will argue and what I usually tell people is the ultimate end game for healthcare, which is this move away from fee-for-service model. Now, I feel like they have been talking about that people, they, the, the, the general they, has been talking about the, de- the, the move away from fee-for-service to value-based reimbursement since I was in school over a decade ago, right? I think no, if you've been in healthcare for any amount of time, whether as a student or as a clinician or a manager or even ancillarily it is as an administrator or an entrepreneur in the healthcare technology space, there's been this whole vague idea of moving towards value-based reimbursement, and then really nobody knows what that means. It might mean shared savings programs over here. It might mean global or lump sum payments over here. But there's been a lot of uncertainty about what that means and how it's going to be implemented, right? Some of, the, some of it has been led in part by maybe CMS implementing a new rule here and there. And then some of it has been payer-based, where you've got organizations that are providing instead of saying you know we're going to pay you per cpt code or per visit we're going to give you this lump sum and it's up to you to manage the patient's care as best you can what is what is common or similar in all of those value-based plans well obviously you need to be efficient if you're going to be an organization that thrives under that sort of model now where you're not getting bill you're not getting paid for the volume of charges you're billing you do need to be efficient you do need to reduce costs because that's how you're going to maintain profitability but you also need to develop or or deliver excuse me de- deliver not develop you need to, to deliver real optimal clinical outcomes and sometimes that requires again not focusing so much on the efficiency, reducing everything down to systems, and I, again, talk about this in the book, that the fact that healthcare is a real human experience, is one person skilled in the art of healing, helping another person who's on their own unique road to recovery, and the best clinical outcomes we get is when we leverage relationships on behalf of our patients and clients in order to help them achieve clinical, the, the clinical outcomes and the, the quality of life outcomes and metrics that, that they desire. So just take, for example, um, a lump sum payment arrangement where maybe the physical therapist was getting paid by this payer per visit or per unit or however it was before, probably per unit. And instead of continuing with that arrangement, the payer says, okay, now what's going to happen is you're going to complete an evaluation on patient Smith. And once you complete that evaluation on patient Smith, we're going to review it. And then we will tell you uh, what the the level of care that we think that they that they would fall under, and we're going to pay you a lump sum upfront for the entirety of that patient's care. And whether you treat that patient one time and never see them again, or whether you treat them a hundred times, you're going to get paid the same amount. You're not going to get more, unless there's you know extenuating circumstances or something like that, and you you file for a uh, a renewal or something, uh, an extension. 
this is a, a pretty common one. We've seen this a, a little bit here at the clinic that I run. There's a couple of payers that are doing this. And one of the things that this, this arrangement does, I have problems with how the, the algorithm and the, the logic they're, doing, they're using to come up with the payment amounts, but that's neither here nor there. The, when we first got approached with this idea, uh, I jumped all over it because I saw it as an opportunity to not only maximize and capitalize on our ability to deliver optimal clinical outcomes in less time, so that efficiency component um, and cost savings component, but then I also saw it as an opportunity to extend that into our other various payers for a couple different reasons. One, because we can see the writing on the wall and we know this is happening sooner or later, that if you know a couple payers are moving into this either lump sum or value-based arrangement, maybe it's shared savings or something like that, that it's only a matter of time till the other payers fall in line, right? And so I saw it as, the, this is the writing on the wall, let's get really good at this now. Maybe let's perhaps be some of the only or the few clinical organizations in our local market that has a good handle on this so that as this becomes more and more prominent, we're in a better position competitively uh, compared to our, our peers in the area. So that's one of the, one of the things that I thought. Um, and the other thing that I thought was that that would force us to, it almost puts you, it puts you in a position where you are forced to make clinical decisions and clinical judgments that you might not otherwise be forced to do if you're incentivized to bill more. Um, so, and that's, this is where technology comes into play, right? Because the technology itself, whatever tool you're using, maybe it's a documentation software, maybe it's a practice management software, maybe it's um, a device that allows for remote therapeutic monitoring or uh, delivery of, of care from home, maybe some kind of digital uh, digital health tool, maybe a wearable or something like uh, the Squeg. Um, full disclosure, if you have not already seen, I did. I have joined the team at Squeg for uh, to do business development for them for the time being, which is exciting. It's a, I'm an occupational therapist. I do upper extremity stuff and have done that. That's been my clinical thing for a while. Squeg is a digital dynamometer and intervention tool, which again, it's, it's just fun to be involved on the, the actual bringing a, a, a tool and solution to the market. Um, and then it's great to work with the, the team, which is a, some OTs and some other people that are, that are just really innovative in the space. So check them out, mysquag.com. Um, don't feel pressured to do it. I'm just telling you. So these tools, these technologies, these devices, they allow and they free up the clinician to do or to spend more time, if you would, on if you were in a fee-for-service model, what we would consider more billable activities, right? In my mind... The shift in thinking here and what moving into like jumping on some of these lump sum reimbursement arrangements have meant for our, our organization as a whole and the way we kind of view and, and think about care delivery is that it's made us shift our thinking from, okay, we're going to increase efficiency so we can bill more to okay, we're going to increase our efficiency so we can reduce the overall cost of delivering care 
both to the patient and the payer, but then also increase our own profit margins while doing it by delivering superior clinical outcomes. And the only way to really do that is not to so much bill more or to spend more time on on stuff that you can quote unquote uh, bill more CBT codes for, but on time that is really high value, high impact services. So that knowledge translation, the self-management, the whatever you, you whatever you want to call it. I, I have steered away from the word coaching because I think it's, it's too vague and it's chintzy. Um, but essentially that's what we're trying to shift the, the profession. I'm going to speak here primarily to rehab clinicians, but this is, this is also true for primary care and for many of the other specialties out there is that the main value, and I've said this a lot, the main value that clinicians and clinical organizations bring to any patient encounter is the fact that we have this wide range of technical information and technical knowledge. We know the research, we know the literature, we know what works, we know evidence-based practice. And the reality is any of your patients do too, right? They can go on Google or Google Scholar or PubMed and read the articles. They can read all of the, the research out there and they can see what, you know, what is the incidence of you know, positive uh, clinical outcomes for non-operative management of a rotator cuff repair, right? That's great. Everybody can see that. So what separates clinicians from Google or from AI or ChatGPT, what separates us from that and really the value, again, that we deliver is that we can take this wide range of knowledge, this wide array of technical skills, technical knowledge, research, and then we're able to couple that with that patient's unique context, their unique situation, and we're able to bring that knowledge to bear on this specific patient's unique situation. So um, this is an, an idea that I did get from a book that I read several years ago. It's called The Business of Expertise by David C. Baker. And he talks about what separates an expert from a non-expert is that the or really what, what separates the, the valuable service and the expertise or the knowledge space from non-valuable service is that content marketing, delivering your expertise or whatever, if you think about it as kind of like this crop duster approach where you're spraying the entire market with your knowledge and your expertise, you're delivering value, you're delivering insights, but they're very general and very broad. And that should all be free and done for the general benefit of the public, right? Whether for the public speaking your market. And then when you really deliver true and unique value and where you should charge money for, and in his case, he's talking about charging a lot of money for, is when you land that crop duster to speak to a specific farmer about their specific crop or their specific field, right? The, the same basic principle I can see and I think applies to healthcare, which is that the value that clinicians bring really comes into play in that one-on-one -on -one interaction with patients. And you could, pro you could extend that to population base as well, right? The, the value that we bring is in specific situations, specific patient encounters, specific population encounters with, within the, the realm of policy and public health, or individual patient encounters and course of care management. So technology and the tools and the automations and the ability to automate or to uh, monitor or to deliver care remotely, which frees up a lot of in-person or in-clinic time, frees clinicians up to do two things. One, 
spend time doing those unbillable activities with specific patients, right? The, the listening, the building rapport, all of that. I'd covered that on another topic. I'll link or another episode. I'll link to that in the show notes. But then this other piece is the idea of using that now freed up time to begin spreading our knowledge and expertise very widely. Um, I come from my clinical background. I'm an occupational therapist by trade. So obviously my entire clinical career has been spent Mo, not my entire clinical t- clinical career, but a large majority of my patient interactions uh, have involved explaining to patients like what the heck is occupational therapy. So I always thought that it was it was harder for me than it was for my physical therapy colleagues in the space because everybody knew what physical therapy was. But even exploring that, you know, m- many people don't know what physical therapy does or occupational therapy does. You're going to do exercises. You're going to help me find a job. What is it? And that's just one example in one subspecialty. Obviously, there's vast misconceptions about what orthopedic surgeons do, what um, ophthalmologists or maybe neurologists or neurosurgeons do um, that would would behoove us as healthcare practitioners to dispel some of those myths for a couple reasons. One, it gives the general public enough information to know which professional to seek out for what issue they might have, right? And then it helps to establish some of those expectations before patients show up in our clinic. So, um, and then there, there are some patients and some potential prospective patients who maybe they just need information. Maybe they have a basic understanding or they're, they're acute enough or their, their, their pain or their issue, their dysfunction isn't to the level that would require going to get an MRI or going to see a surgeon or a physical therapist or an occupational therapist or something like that. And they just need basic general information to help move themselves down the path. And once they get there, they, they, might never, they might never need to see a clinician for this problem. That, in my mind, is a win because it means that that patient is now not you, uh, tying up resources that could be used on patients that actually need it. Um, that's decreasing the cost of care across the board, the healthcare expenditure, both for that payer and for that patient. Um, and again, it's t- it's not tying up the 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 resources at, at clinical organizations means there's increased access, right? So to me, that's a win-win-win all around. So thinking back to what technology allows you to do, if technology allows you to become more efficient and reduce the quote unquote the time that you're spending in the clinic, maybe with patients, and you're still getting optimal clinical outcomes, like. This is you're not supposed to do this at the cost or the expense of of clinical outcomes. But let's say you you can manage it. You're getting good outcomes. And we've done this a little bit at the clinic that I that I work at. We've done the math here and we can see that we have overall we have reduced the number of visits per care episode um, significantly over the last year by implementing some digital technology tools and some remote therapy monitoring. But we've actually increased the profit margins per course of care, which is wonderful. So what that is allowing us to do now is spend a little bit of time thinking about, okay, what other uh, beneficial or value can we create? What beneficial activities can we spend our time on that's gonna help further that end? Some of that might be knowledge translation, clinical education, all of that. Um, And then the other piece is spending time on those patients that might need a little bit more of that 
quote unquote non-billable time. So it, it, there's two benefits there to increasing efficiency. I think the key there though is not to look at the efficiency as allowing us to bill more to the insurance companies or allowing us to to bill more CPT codes, but really thinking about, okay, how do we leverage this time, this effort, um, the, the reduced costs, the reduced um, time expenditures to either treat more patients, which is also a thing, right, access, or deliver more value, not so much bill more to insurance. The shift needs to be away from this fee-for-service model. And that's why I always advocate when I talk to clinicians and other clinical organizations just in, in conversations, like as many of those lump sum payment groups that you can get into or shared saving plans that you can get into, arrangements, like it's worth exploring because it's gonna it shifts the incentives from bill more, bill more to deliver more value to deliver more value. And for example, we could have two or three patients now that are in on these lump sum payments and because of the way we manage care now, this via this hybrid approach to healthcare, where we've got in-clinic, digital health, and virtual services all kind of working seamlessly together, we're able to see maybe those three patients um, in compressed timeframes and where we might have been in a situation where you're doubling patients or it's not a good situation to being able to see them with less visits, with less time at the same time, if you would, um, not like doubling same time, you know what I mean, where you're increasing the overall access to care, the, the, the availability. So now your clinicians are freed up a little bit more. Maybe they can see more patients, um, which is wonderful. Um, but we're not thinking about billing more for insurance. We're, we're looking, the shift really becomes getting these patients better quicker so that our margins are better because profit margins are important. But we're also delivering those clinical outcomes so that we can go back to payers and to referral sources. And even when we market direct to consumer, we can say, listen, the average, and we just did this the other day with a, a referral source of ours. We can say, okay, the average, according to the last study that I looked at, like the average number for um, for physical therapy visits, the number of visits following a knee arthroscopy is like 23 or something like that. Obviously, there are some clinical organizations that do it in less, do it in more, um, but the average has been 23. And I think that was a study that I found from like 2021. Um, hours at the clinic, last time I ran the numbers was 14.3. So about nine, uh, nine visits less. And you you better believe it that when we speak to orthopedic surgeons now, when we're, we're talking to those referral sources, when we're marketing to patients, uh, that, that is one of the things we are leading with now. That, okay, the national average, you're going to spend 23 visits, that's 23 co-pays if you, for the patient, or 23 times whatever of the co-insurance is, um, and that's going to be the average that you're going to spend. At our clinic, we can't promise you that, but our average is at 14, so we're about you know nine visits less than that. So the patients are really excited about that because it means they're going to spend less time in the clinic. They're going to spend less of their own money out of pocket at the organization or, or to, on, on care. And then we can go back to, to doctors and orthopedic surgeons and say, listen, the average is you know, 23 visits for your patients. That means they're, you know, they're taking a little longer, whatever. They're, they might not have clinical outcome, a positive clinical outcomes. So there might be complications. We're getting them done in... It's not about it's not half the half the time, but close to it, right? Um, so if you if, if that's what you want for your patients, you want them to get better, quicker, and with less pain, um, send them over to us. 
and it's been beneficial in those regards as well. So, and that's come from putting ourselves as an organization in a position where we where we need to leverage technology and efficiency and tools and all that, not just to bill more to insurances, but really to get patients better quicker, to reduce costs and um, reduce the the out-of-pocket cost of patients, the cost to payers, and at the same time, increasing our margins so that we're financially solvent and able to continue to deliver those those outcomes to, to all of the various stakeholders. So hopefully this was uh, beneficial for you. You found it something worth uh, listening to. And if nothing else, maybe gave you some ideas to think about in your own practice, in your own organization. If you happen to be a, a founder or a co-founder or something like that, at a healthcare innovation company or technology company, and your marketing is all about, we're letting you bill more, um, just realize, and I want you to think that what you're doing with that messaging is you're, you're really positioning your technology or your service or your device or whatever it is, you're positioning it to thrive in a model of healthcare that is quickly going away. Well, maybe not quickly, but it's going away. The writing is on the wall. We're not going to be at a fee-for-service model in healthcare forever. Um, so think about it in your marketing and in the way that you're you're having conversations with prospects and clinical organizations in that you want to address that now for sure. Like, we, yes, you're going to be able to bill more. You're going to be able to, to increase your profit. You're going to be able to increase your top-line revenue. That's wonderful. But also plant in the prospect's mind this idea that we are also building you the the capabilities to thrive in the future the future that is that is coming that everybody knows is coming which is value-based care so again if you like the show um share it with somebody that you think would find it useful and beneficial i think i'm in the middle of coming up with a new like intro script and, and music and all that we'll unveil that maybe in 2025 um but anyways, I, I was saying for a while, oh, sh- you know, give us a thumbs up or rating and review or something like that. I think it's more beneficial if you th- know of somebody who would find this topic or what we talk about. Maybe it's not this episode. Maybe it's one of the ones we've previously done on virtual vestibular rehab or, um, or something like that uh, to, to just share it with them. Let, let them listen to it. And maybe we can get more people on board to this idea of innovating in healthcare for the sake of improving and in, and really empowering clinicians and clinical organizations to deliver those high value, high impact services that we all want. So um, that's it for me. You can find out more about me, rafisalazar.com or rehabupracticesolutions.com. If you want to check out the book, Better Outcomes, A Guide to Humanizing Healthcare, you can see that at book dot better outcomes dot show there's a couple videos that i've got up there talking about some of the core concepts in the book a couple reviews and links to purchase so that's book uh, dot better outcomes dot show until the next time folks be safe be healthy i will talk to you then thanks for listening to the better outcomes show where we explore the possibilities of a new healthcare. Our hope is that you walk away from each episode informed, equipped, and empowered to push the boundaries in your own practice or business. We want to give you the tools to help you build strong, long-lasting relationships with your patients and clients, helping meet their goals, improve their health, and achieve better outcomes. Learn more at www. 
rehabupracticesolutions.com. We'll catch you on the next episode.